Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here with us. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Hello to you, those of you online and over at our Urbana location as well. We're glad you are with us. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be covering chapters, parts of chapters 3, 4, and 5 this week. The book of Hebrews is found in the back of your Bible. If you go all the way to the right, book of Revelation, head to the left, you'll run in quickly to the book of Hebrews. As Aaron said, you can also download our First Christian Church app. You can follow along, take notes with us there. The book of Hebrews is, as we've been studying the last couple of weeks, is this idea about not drifting in our faith. That the author of Hebrews, he's writing to these uh, formerly Jewish people, now Christians, uh, who, who have felt the temptation or the draw to kind of go back to what felt comfortable or easy, their old way of life, their old way of understanding. And so while the book of Hebrews isn't necessarily the most comforting letter, it is certainly a very encouraging and necessary for one for us today. Now, how many of you, though, um, you, guys, you guys know those rumble strips that we have on the side of the road on the, ha- on the highway, right? If you're on like the, the, the big like four-lane highway, you got the median, you got some on the left, some on the right. Now, my kids like almost prefer for me to drive on those because you're driving and my, and my kids start laughing and giggling. I don't know if it's like they get like a little butt massage or what's going on, but uh, they, they, they kind of prefer me to kind of drive on those. It's kind of a weird thing that, that, that happens in the Friedman cars, but, but it exists. And that's kind of what the Hebrew book of Hebrews is, is about, is we have these rumble strips in faith and we're kind of trying to, hey, be careful not to drift. Because what these rumble strips are designed to do is if you start to kind of get off course, this is the lane, this is the direction, this is where you're heading, and if you start to get a little bit too far to the left, you start to get a little too far to the right, you're kind of uh, maybe falling asleep at the wheel a little bit, they're designed to what? To wake you up, to get your attention. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about, and that's what we're going to be kind of diving into today. You see, these Christians were facing this tendency to drift. Some might say they were kind of falling asleep at the wheel in their walk with Jesus. They were going, the temptations to go back to what was easy, what was comfortable, what was normal. They wanted to go back to their old understanding, their old way of life because it made more sense to them. And what they were missing was the idea and the notion that these these Jewish elements, Moses and the word of God, were not necessarily fully and complete until Jesus that they were going back to the taste and they were missing the fullness and the refreshing nature of how Jesus has brought it all together. Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse one, follow along with me this morning. Author says this, is therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Kind of an important facet for us this morning. He was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of Moses. And just as the builder of the house has had greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son of God over God's house. And as we are in his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory. What kind of happens sometimes in the New Testament or in the book of Hebrews is is Moses gets a bad rep. 
Sometimes we, we hear this thought, I was like, well, we have the Old Testament, we're Old Testament people now, we can get rid of the law, we can get rid of Moses, we can get rid of the Old Testament, and that's actually the exact opposite of what is happening. The author of Hebrews is trying to frame up to get us all to understand, because it applies to us today, that Moses isn't a bad guy, Moses isn't dead, rather, he was purely a foreshadowing or foretaste in the future, as he says, of what is to come. Now, who was Moses? kind of an important character for today's lesson. Moses was this guy thousands of years ago who was the leader of the nation of Israel, the ancient Israelite people. He was the one who, in the book of Exodus, marches the people of God out of bondage and slavery from the Egyptians. He was the one who spent time on top of Mount Sinai, received the law. He was the one who, who, who like, you know, like, like stuck his, his stake in the ground and the Red Sea sp- split apart and they all marched through and the, and the, and the, and the, and, and the Pharaoh and all of his, his, his captors, whatever, and they marched around and they marched around in the wilderness for 40 days or 40 years before they got to the promised land. There was the manna, there's all of this stuff, that Moses oftentimes represented two things. He represented the law because he was the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But Moses also at the same time represented in some way the presence of God because wherever Moses was, there was clear notion that God was at work and God was moving. In some ways, Moses, he was the pinnacle of the Jewish faith. He was the pinnacle of the people that you could listen to, you could follow. In some ways, he also represented and how God was bound with his people and God's people were bound with God together. The thing is, is Moses also represented a sense of comfort, a sense of security, a sense of what was easy or more normal. Well, I grew up listening about Moses. I grew up hearing the things of Moses. I grew up uh, reading the words of Moses. And now I have this Jesus guy, and they're kind of faced with this loyalty thing. It almost seems like they were forced to choose, at least in their mind, do you want to be a follower of Moses, or do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Now, the thing is, is it's not like, are you a Cubs fan or a Cardinals fan? It's not, are you a Bears fan or a Colts fan? It's kind of not, not either one of those. It's not a loyalty issue. Rather, it's a what is true, what is right. You see, Moses wasn't given as someone to dis- distract us from following God or following Jesus. Rather, Moses was that foretaste, the foreshadowing of the servant of God. See, that's why the author of Hebrews says in verse 1, he says, so you have this heavenly calling, this shared confession, That we become believers, we become followers of God, we become disciples, we are made right with God, not because we confess our sins to Moses, not because we, we claim to believe in the power and the might of Moses, we become shared, unified in the family of God through that heavenly calling through Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection. And so the author of Hebrews says, so fix your eyes on Jesus. He doesn't say fix your eyes on Jesus or on Moses. He doesn't say fix your eyes on Jesus or what feels more comfortable to you in the past. He doesn't say fix your eyes on Christ and all that he's done or go ahead and just kind of stick with what you already know, your old way of life. You can have Jesus and continue to live in your own vein. Say, no, 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 we have one calling, one directive. That's to stay on the road, stay on the path to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That is the calling that we fix our eyes upon. The thing is, is the author of of Hebrews, he he, he isn't diminishing Moses. He's rather putting him in the right place. 
In verses 3 and 6, he talks about the difference between the son and the servant of a household. One is clearly the heir to the throne. The other exists to serve the master of the house. Let's say, let's say for a second that, uh, that, that you were going to an estate to cut a business deal. And you, you marched up to the front door. And a servant opens the door and he says, hey, uh, what can I do for you? He's like, oh, I'm here to see uh, Mr. Smith. And I'm wondering if he's here. Well, Mr. Smith isn't around, but what can I do for you? Oh, well, you're, you're, you're the servant. Well, I'll just, let's just, I have this deal. We need to sign some, uh, sign some documents, cross some T's, dot some I's. I. I know the son is really the one who I need to talk to. The owner of the house is really the one whose approval I need. But you're here. You might as well. You'll do. You'll work. Like, like, none of us would ever do that. None of us would ever settle for the servant, would settle for the one who is working for the master when we have direct access to the one in charge. The author of Hebrews is trying to encourage these early Christians saying, don't go back to the servant, the one who has a great purpose, the one who has paved the way when you now have direct access to the one in charge. Picking up in verse 14, the author of Hebrews continues, says, we have come to share in who? In Christ. If indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses who had led out of Egypt? and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would rest, uh, never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is where the, the book of Hebrews becomes more of an encouragement to get on track than it is something just, just peaceful and nice for us. You see, if we begin to drift and we get so far off course that we go back to our old way of life, we choose what feels comfortable or natural to us as human beings, he's saying we live a rebellious life. We live a life outside of God's will. We live a life outside of God's purposes. And so therefore, we need to consider how we are living this life. There's this comparison in verse 1 and verse 14 Fix your eyes on the calling that Jesus has given to you in one instance. And then he says, do not lose grip. You have that firm grasp and that confidence. The writing is specific to these people. You're losing your gaze. You're losing your confidence. Your eyes are not fixed on what they are called to be as someone who lives in the family and the kingdom of God. You are no longer keeping the main things, the main things. The drifting has begun. For them, that meant Moses, the ways of the past. That meant the old forms, rituals, traditions of life. In some ways, it's the same thing for us. Because don't we fix our eyes? Don't we grab a hold of to just about anything other than Jesus in this life? I don't know about you. It's a weekly, monthly, yearly struggle for myself. There are things in this life that seems a little bit easier more comfortable, more natural. Well, I have this understanding already, and it kind of makes sense, and I know I'm not really sure how that matches with the will of God, but I'm just going to go with it. Well, I know Jesus, I believe in his hope, I believe in his truth, I believe in the will he's called for my life, but, you know, 
I can, I can see the dollars in the bank account, whether they're going up and down, it's right in front of me. Well, Jesus, I know that you're there. I believe that you are with me. However, this person, this relationship is truly in my fingertips at the moment. Do we not do the same thing? Fix our eyes or grab a hold to just about anything other than Jesus at times. And see, this is where some of us say, but yeah, Barry, you know, like, like I, would, I would notice, like, 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 I'm a pretty good Christian. Like, I would totally notice if I started to drift. I would totally notice if I was holding too tightly onto the things of this life, if I was drifting back into my old thinking, if I was kind of resorting to, to who I was before I followed Jesus. I would kind of notice if I was hitting those rumble strips. And the other Hebrews are just saying, no, you wouldn't. You're kind of slipping, bro. He said, think about the Israelites. They had Moses. For 40 years, they saw the miracle of the manna falling down from heaven. They saw the Red Sea literally part in two, and they walked through on their bare feet, and they were delivered out of slavery and oppression and pain and bondage, and yet they still were tempted to live rebellious lives. They, too, were tempted to go back to what was easy, more comfortable, what just kind of felt right in the moment. They too were tempted to choose loyalty to someone or something other than Jesus. See, what happened for the Israelite people is they confused the presence of God, the gifts, with the presence, his being. They confused the gifts with the giver. They looked for more than what, what God could do for them in their life than for God himself. And what the author of Hebrews is starting to show us this morning is that Jesus fulfills the foretaste of Moses. He's not saying completely right off Moses. He's not saying Moses was a bad guy. He's not saying the way in which you grew up as a young Jewish boy or girl that is completely worthless. Rather, he was saying, don't miss the point. That it was just a foretaste. It was merely a foreshadowing of the true Messiah to come. Like let's say you, you've been outside the last couple days mowing your yard. Maybe not for like 48 hours long. That'd be a really, really big yard. But it's been, you know, it's been kind of humid out here. You're on your zero turn. You're, you're doing the lawn. Or, you're, or you, if you're a real man, you know, you're pushing. You're doing the push lawnmower thing because, you know, that's the manly thing to do. You got to build up those calves. Okay, anyways. So let's just say like you've been outside for a few hours and you're hot and sweaty. Is there anything more refreshing than just a nice glass of lemonade? Like you come in, you just... Mm. Oh, it's been a hard day's work. I'm glad I can just get a little sip and it kind of refresh my palate. Now, let me ask you, though. Would you rather have a glass of lukewarm lemonade or not? Now, if it's been a hard day's work, you'll probably take the lemonade. You'll probably take the drink because you understand the taste. You understand what it's meant to be. However, you know that it's missing something. You know that it's not quite there. You know that there's a little extra oomph and power that comes when it's cooled down. You see, that's what Jesus does to Moses. He fills him up. He takes what was the foretaste, what you know is to be there, and to make it uh, the way it should be. Refreshing, quenches the soul. The Hebrews were opting for something lesser, something that they knew had a greater purpose that is to come. 
But it wasn't just the presence of God that they were kind of missing the point on. It was also the promises of God, God's word. If you flip over to chapter 4, picking up in verse 11, the author of Hebrews continues. It says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, the Hebrews were operating with a, maybe perhaps somewhat of a foretaste of the Word of God. Now, for them, the Word of God, the Bible, was not the Bible that we have today. It was not the Old Testament, New Testament. Rather, it was the Old Testament and probably the teaching of Jesus, probably hearing or oral tradition of Jesus' parables of how he has been the fulfillment of the prophecies. He has been the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, why resort to just the old stuff when you've been given the new, when you've been given the fulfillment, when you've been given the thing that is better, the thing that the old stuff prepared the way for, the old stuff kind of, kind of got you on the right track to fully understand and receive. So to, to tell us that, that the word of God, the Old Testament, combined with the life, the death, the resurrection, the power of Jesus is a sword in our life. Jesus has fulfilled the promises of God. He fulfills that truth. He fulfills that hope. He is the example of God's grace. He is the example of God's mercy. He is the example of God's justice. He is that message of salvation that Moses was the foreshadowing of, that David talked about in the Psalms, that the Old Testament prophets prophesied that is to come, saying, we have this fullness of the word of God been given to us. First to it is a sword, using three adjectives, living, active, and sharper. Number one, that the word of God is living, meaning it is personal for you and I. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you skip down to verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus was not purely just a man. He was also God. He was the fullness of God's word. Theologian John Frame kind of puts it this way. He says, when we encounter the word of God, we encounter God himself. I need you to know that the word of God is personal for you. It was not written to us, but it was written for us. That it understands, it gives direction and guidance, keeps us on the right path of obedience and following God's will for our life. Number two, it says, not is it just living, but it is also active. Like to say, the word of God is palpable. You can feel it beating through you. Colossians chapter three says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Like if you were to like after service, go to Barnes & Noble. You know what like the biggest section at Barnes & Noble is? It's not the business section. It's not the history section. It's not the coloring book section. That the biggest section at Barnes & Noble is the self-help section. 
Here's how you live life. Why? Because each and every one of us know deep down that there ought to be a way in which we feel like we are living life and living life to the fullest. All of us feel like there's this, this, this desire to not just go through the motions, but we know we want to have a purpose. We want to have meaning. We want to have direction and guidance in life. And so Hebrews is reminding us the word of God is that. It helps you feel alive. It is living and it is active. You can feel it coursing through your veins if you spend time with it. Then it adds a third adjective, though. It's not just living, it's not just active, it's not just personal, it's not just palpable, it is also sharper. It's not just sharp, it's sharper. It's the sharpest thing that we have in life. It is piercing into our heart, into our mind, and into our soul. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It is given to us for the building up, the following of the righteousness of God. You see, the word sword here isn't representative of like this two-handed Excalibur where you have these big swooping things into a battle. It's a representation of a gladius, which would have been the small sword that a soldier would have held on the inside of their thigh. So that when they got into close combat with another soldier, they were able to pull it out. And it was so sharp on both edges, it could do one of two things. Had the ability to cut off the armor so that it would expose the enemy so you could take them out. Or if you were close enough, it could go directly in between the crevices of the armor and make a wounding, hopefully potentially a wound that allows you to escape. See, the word of God is sharp. It's double-edged. It's given to us to pierce the hardest surface on earth. Not concrete, not vibranium, but our hearts. Because doesn't true transformation start here? And when we change as human beings, the metamorphosis has to take root in our heart above all else. Author of Hebrews is saying, do not lose sight of the power of the word of God because it has now been made complete and full because of Jesus. I believe the author of Hebrews is leading us to this understanding that there is a correlation between the activity of your Bible and the activity of your faith. There's a correlation to how much you get into the word of God and staying on that path. There is a correlation to perhaps how much you feel the rumble strips of life versus cruising down in God's will for your life. Why? Because of the power, the personal, palpable, piercing nature of the word of God. See, what was happening is they were taking the Old Testament, but they were leaving out Jesus. They were taking what was the foretaste of the word of God that which was incomplete. And the offer of no, 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 don't go back to your former ways of living. Don't go back to your former ways of understanding. Rather, realize that Jesus has come to fill it up. Jesus has come to bring it life. Jesus has brought it to its fullest measure. Don't resort to your old ways of thinking about God's word. Don't think that you have to earn your way into heaven. Don't think that you lose it if you're not good enough. Put those old thinking, those old ways of viewing God's word to death. Because the foretaste was already telling you, you are not good enough. 
The foretaste was already showing you that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The foretaste was already giving you the directive that you have to believe in the graciousness of a sacrifice to take your place. Now it has been made full. Now it has been made complete because of Jesus. In verse 13, there's this, this interesting passage where it says, though, but you can't escape it. You, you, you cannot leave it behind. And so you think sometimes I, I hear this is like, well, you know, we've just kind of doled down the word of God. Or, or, you know, we just, you know, we've gotten a little soft around the edges when it comes to God's word. The thing is, is God's word cannot change. It cannot mutate. It cannot get softer. It is always the sharpest thing that can pierce our hearts. But what we can do is avoid it. What we can do is stay away from it. What we can do is keep it at arm's reach so that it doesn't have the length, so that the gladius cannot get in between the armor of our life so that it may pierce our hearts. Its potency, its power, its sharpness can never change. However, we can keep it away. Let's say for a moment you're sick and, and you go into the doctor and they say, hey, you have a tumor. And you've got two options. And he pulls out the scalpel. He says, you want me to cut you now? You want me to cut you later? Be painful now. We'll numb you up a little bit. But, you know, we can take out this tumor now and you can probably live a full life. Or you can let it be. You can let it spread. And then when you die, we'll cut it out again. The same thing for the word of God in our life. We will have to give account to the word of God, whether in this life or at the end of this life. We can not escape it. The Old Testament, Moses, is not dead. It is not useless. But it was a preparation for knowing the power of the Word of God. It's because the Word of God can't do its work if you avoid it. You cannot understand more of God. You cannot follow God deeply and more richly if you avoid His Word in this life. So the question becomes is how do we wake up? How, how do we pay attention to when we hit the rumble strips? How do I know if I'm starting to drift a little bit off course? Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through 14. This will be our final passage for us this morning. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Let that sink in for a moment. You find yourself not even wanting to spend time with God or trying to understand his word. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who have by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In some ways, the author of Hebrews is saying, what does your faith diet consist of? 
Let's say for a moment that uh, you were very gracious, wanted to be very gracious to me and said, hey, Eric, uh, I, I, I care about you. I want to treat you uh, to just a nice steak dinner. Let's head down to Hamilton Walker's this weekend. That sounds great. And so you make the reservation. I show up. I dress in a tuxedo because that's what you got to do when you're going to a fancy place. I got my bow tie on. And uh, we show up and everyone's looking at me weird, like who's this weirdo showing up in a tuxedo? It's nice, but not that nice. And so we sit down. And you look across the table, you say, hey, hey, anything you want, it's on me. And you're like, I'm going to probably get the porterhouse with the side of T-bone. So you just get whatever you want. It's on me. I'm going to pick up the tab. And so I'm flipping through the menu, kind of seeing well, what sounds good. And, and, and the waiter comes up and says, how may I serve you tonight? What can I get for you? And, you know, you, you, you rattle off this list. I'll take the T-bone. I'll take the porterhouse. Give me three sides of mashed potatoes. You're just like, I'm, you're ready to feast. And I look at the waiter and said, yeah, I'll just take a glass of milk. Like your best milk, but give me the best glass of milk. You're probably like, well, that's a little strange. But, you know, maybe he's got a weird stomach thing going on. Maybe he's on like a keto diet. I don't know what's right, right? And then you're like, okay, you don't think anything of it. You don't call me out. You don't think I'm weird yet. And then we, you say, hey, let's try again next week. And so the next week I show up with my tuxedo on, but no bow tie this time because I've understood the way it goes. And we sit down. And same thing, you're saying, you know, I think I'm going to go with a double ribeye, butterfly with extra butter searing on top. And you're just like, oh, this is going to be so good. And the waiter comes up and says, what do you have? And you said, give me the best ribeyes you have. And I look at him again and say, yeah, I'll take your nicest glass of milk. At some point, you're probably like, what is wrong with this guy? I'm offering to buy him like the greatest steaks that we have this side of the Mississippi, and he's just kind of writing it off. Why will he not eat like a grown human being? This is what's going on with these Christians. They've been Christians for a very, very long time, and yet they were opting to stay with the milk. When the feast was before them, when the, all of the meat, everything that you could possibly imagine was at their fingertips in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, they were saying, no, 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 no. Give me what mom gave me growing up. Give me the easy stuff. Give me the comfortable stuff. Give me the stuff that, you know, I know is going to sit well in my tum-tum. You see, you can't get to the meat without first going through the milk. I think we understand that. As a child, you need milk to nourish you and grow up. However, there is always the expectation to grow. There is always the expectation to take that next step in your faith. And what the Hebrews were doing is they were saying, no, 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 I'm going to stay here. This is easy. This is comfortable. This is what I know. I'm not going anywhere. This is my box. I like it here because I can keep everything at bay. I feel in control. I feel like I get to call the shots. Yet the expectation to grow is there. That's why the, the, the vision of our church is 5,000 what? Next steps of discipleship. Because you and I alike, we all have an expectation to grow to take our next step in faith. You see, a parent isn't going to withhold love from a child because perhaps they're lagging behind in their maturity. At the same time, too, they're not going to withhold love until it's like, well, until you're mature, then we'll love you. However, the most loving thing a parent can do is help that child grow up into a full-fledged human being able to cut their own stake. Author of Hebrews is making this point to us. Are you a spiritual toddler? Or are you choosing to stay comfortable in your ways of life? In verses 11 through 14, it uses these adjectives. 
You don't listen, you are forgetful, you are unskilled, you are unable to discern what is right or wrong. I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. Let's just say that's appropriate to them. We grow in the presence of God with the promises of God. That the maturity doesn't happen on our own strength. It's a hot summer day, and you've got this ability to mix two of the greatest drinks into one that is arguably the most refreshing and fulfilling drink that's out there. The promises of God mixed with the, promise, the, the presence of God is the wake-up call to the rumble strips of life. So we move to our time of response this morning. I want us to think about this as we get ready to partake in the Lord's Supper together. I want you to think about what is the rumble strips that you sometimes might feel in your life, in your faith, in your walk with Jesus? Sometimes there's big things. There's the big mistakes, the big sin, the big faults, the big, the big temptations that come our way. But there's also kind of extra early warning signs. I could ask you, like, how's your prayer life? How's your time in God's word? Do you have a desire to care for others, to forgive others, to not be bitter towards others? When you hear the church talking about, hey, God calls us to be generous with our time, our talents, our treasures, is your first instinct to be like, no, I don't like that. The rumble strips of our faith look many different ways. The call for you to grow and mature in your faith is always there. It is always present. It will never leave. The call to live an obedient life but also a full life. To not just go with what you have seen in the past, not just to go with where your heart leads, not just to resort to the foretaste, but have the fullness, the refreshing nature of Jesus. I don't know what the rumble strip you might be on right now is. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is moving in you right now, revealing, yeah, 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 yeah. But trying to get your attention. But in the presence of God, with the promises of God, with God in his word is how we continue to grow in our maturity with him. But let me remind us all this morning that we are not perfect. That we do not make mis- uh, we do not go through life without making mistakes. That even when we say yes to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that I am a sinner in need of grace, I exchange his blood for mine, we still hit the rumble strips. We still have faults. We still have things we need to work out. And I just think the, the greatest thing about life in Jesus is he knows that. He lived this life. He walked this earth. He understands to a degree what you are going through. And yet he still died for you. He still loves you. He did it all knowing that you would potentially say yes to his name and still make a mistake. He he still died for you on the cross knowing that that vice would still haunt you. It doesn't change his desire for you to grow up. It doesn't change his desire for you to stay on the path to avoid those rumble strips, to stop drifting. 
For when we drift, his grace is always sufficient to bring us back. But on the road of faith, it is his presence and his promises that keep us in the right direction. Let's partake in communion and remember the work of Jesus in our life. Last night with his disciples in the upper room, Jesus took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Then he held up the cup, he held the wine. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. He said, do this in remembrance of me. As we continue to worship and respond to the word of God this morning, we invite you to sing these songs with us. We invite you, if you're feeling called, to be generous back to God. You can visit our given respond boxes across the room, or you can give generously through the first app as well. Would you pray with me as we continue to worship this morning? Heavenly Father, you are good. You are gracious. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promises. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this life. May we walk intently with him. May we sing and praise your graciousness this morning. It's your name that we pray. Amen.